Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 230, Dysbiosis Through Disconnection. In today's episode, we will be exploring the impact of industrialization, social isolation, and separation from nature as a driver of imbalance in the gut. And we'll also, of course, share with you updates on our Beat the Bloat ebook, which are coming out in the following weeks, and how we can regain balance through reconnection with some lifestyle and diet support. Yes, I think this is a very necessary and timely topic. So we had a great episode back on episode 137, all about the gut almost 100 ago, which is one of our top 10. Um, So if you are a new follower, definitely give that one a listen. And then today's episode, we really want to unpack the microbiome and its influence on whole body health, as well as this concept of disconnection, driving dysbiosis, or how when we isolate and dissociate from the earth, we actually find ourselves in more sterility where dysbiosis can creep in. Yeah, it's so interesting to think that we can be in a dysbiotic state, which for those of you new listeners, dysbiosis is an imbalance of bacteria. I guess we we do define that coming. Yes. (laughs) But if this is all like, what are these ladies talking about already? Um, It's really wild that dysbiosis can be a condition that can occur through both sterility or through exposure to an Mm -hmm. imbalanced pathogen or yeast. And um, I think today's, like you said, topic is really timely. And I think it's a really beautiful way to weave in how when we reconnect, how we can find really whole body balance. Yes. So before we dive into that, um, if you are a podcast listener longstanding, make sure you are subscribed to the Naturally Nourished YouTube channel. If you haven't subscribed yet, please go over and do that literally right now. Um, We have a whole gut series over there. So we've got um, on today's topic, one on our probiotic challenge. We walk you through the step-by-step of how to assess your gut for dysbiosis using our Restore Baseline Probiotic. We've got some great episodes on the MRT test, our food sensitivity test in that gut series. We've got some great ones on bone broth and bone broth fasting, which has been a really popular one. What are some other There's also that sit-down video where we actually talk about doing the Beat the Bloat Cleanse, which is super relevant in today's conversation, as well as how to cope with your gut cleanse. Mm -hmm. And that's more in the kitchen demo space where we talk about food as medicine solutions. So all of that is at the Naturally Nourished YouTube channel. And then for those of you that prefer just audio, although you can watch the YouTube stuff and just listen, you know, it's possible. (laughs) But for other podcast episodes, starting all the way back from episode 22 on Candida albicans, episode 60 on dysbiosis and the microbiome, that would give a lot of framework for where we're going today. Uh, In that episode, we went into the connection of 
of really why the microbiome is such an important role in our neurotransmitters. And I wrote that while I was developing chapter three of the anti-anxiety diet book, where I have an entire chapter devoted to reset the microbiome. So episode 60 kind of nerds out on our neurotransmitters, brain health and inflammation. We have episode 87, which goes further into the brain-gut access. And then episode 131 on candida and SIBO, that's another really popular episode Mm -hmm. where we take a deep look on the distinguishable symptoms of the two and considerations with cleanse. And really ultimately in that episode, we come to the conclusion that the Beat the Bloat Cleanse bundle from the Naturally Nourished Supplement line can work well to eradicate or kill off both. Um, So yes, you can do all the fancy testing, the breath test, the stool test, but at the end of the day, if we see the impact of oregano oil and berberine and proteolytic compounds and um, getting N-acetylcysteine to break up biofilms, a lot of those mechanisms do overlap. So 131 is on candida and SIBO. And then the last two I'll name before we get into it is episode 174, which is the Beat the Bloat Cleanse Dysbiosis Disease Connection. And that's where I shared my personal prior cleanse, uh, which I did towards the end of 2018 or end of 2019 going into 2020. And um, I share in that the impact of my past four to five cleanses and from fertility to the impact on the estrobilome to the influence on skin health and so much more. And then to 10, most recently, we did an episode on Herxheimer reactions and how to cope with a gut cleanse. That might be a good one to pair along with today's episode um, if you're pretty caught up and thinking about doing a gut cleanse or maybe even to listen to like the first couple of weeks of your cleanse. Okay, so let's give a shout out to Fond, the sponsor for today's episode, and then we'll get into things. All right. All right. So Fond, as y'all know, makes bone broth that is like a sous chef within your own kitchen. It is really wellness well made, and they source quality produce from local farmers. They source cage-free chicken to use, and they're doing necks, backs, feet, so you're getting really good collagenous, gelatinous broth. Uh, They use stainless steel in their cooking materials and well water, artisanal well water that they test, of course, on a daily level to ensure its purity. And so all of the ingredients when we're talking about food as medicine, from the water they're using to the cooking to the storage in their beautiful glass jars is really top-notch. And then that's not even to mention the synergy of the ingredients that they bring together to make beautiful flavor profiles. So I've still been really rocking out my nopalito, which is the bone broth that incorporates habanero peppers with cilantro and nopalis cactus. Really great to get that mucilaginous breakup of phlegm and mucus as we're kind of rounding out the allergy season now. Um, And that spicy pepper really kicks up and uh, thins out mucus and phlegm as well. And then um, some of their classic flavors are also my favorite. I love the one that used to be called Youth Tonic, but it's the shiitake mushroom blend, which is just beautiful flavor profile. I love to add miso with that and some cod. I'll take wild cod, like a frozen single pack, um, thaw that overnight in the fridge, cut it into one inch chunks. And then as my broth is heating up, I'll throw that cod in there, stir in a little bit of miso once I've taken it off the heat, break up a nori sheet, and I have a beautiful nourishing meal in a mug, which is fantastic support for thyroid as well, and really good metabolic support. 
Uh, we love bone broth because it's like a facelift for the gut. So really great for support when we're talking about gut integrity or preventing and repairing that leaky gut. And then also there is good metabolic support. We know that there's high amounts of glycine in the bone broth as well. And this glycine actually aids in body fat metabolism. So we will have individuals in our 12-week food as medicine ketosis class do a bone broth fast to accelerate body fat burn. And you can also find out more about that on the YouTube channel. But if you're sipping on any broth, this is the stuff that will really take flavor profiles to the next level and the quality cannot be beat. Go on over to fondbonebroth.com slash AllieMillerRD and you will save on your order and also let them know that you learned about them through the Naturally Nourished podcast. Yes, I was living on Fond Bone Broth last week through the big freeze snowpocalypse situation in Texas. It's so good. <laughs> me too. I was having yep. absolutely a jar day. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so stock up. Yep. All right. So on to today's topic. So this gut health and microbiome stuff is really important and, you know, has a super significant impact on whole body health. So let's just start first, um, and go into the basic imp- uh, explanation, Allie, of, of what the microbiome is and why it matters. Okay. So there are 100 trillion cells of bacteria and yeast that line the mucosal membranes of your mouth, skin, and gut. And this comprises about three to five pounds of living bacteria known as the microbiome. And this bacteria can work for or against your body. Um, You know, the number of cells of bacteria and yeast actually outnumber the the number of cells that make up your own body. So essentially you are just like a host or a a puppeteer (laughs) being orchestrated by this microbiome. And when it's working for you, we call that a symbiotic uh, experience or a state of symbiosis. In a symbiotic state, the gut bacteria can regulate inflammation. It can aid in breaking down food particles to enhance absorption of nutrients. Probiotics even can help to drive nutrient development or produce nutrients in the body. We can see favorable immune and digestive function. We can see also on a neurotransmitter level, a healthy production of serotonin as well as other mood stabilizing effects. And even on factors which we'll geek out about a little bit today, like BDNF, um, you know, compounds that can actually support neuroplasticity, anti-aging, and brain health. So you want to be in a symbiotic state. That's for sure. (laughs) Dysbiosis is the opposite of that, where we see, on the contrary, the bacteria and yeast in the body having a negative impact on whole body health. So we can have undesirable impact in our digestive state, which could be anything from bloating, distension, belching, flatulence, um, irregular bowel formation. We can see more chronic inflammatory expression. We can see autoimmune disease as well as immune dysfunction um, when dealing with even pathogens. So uh, we could have more immune compromised function or less uh, natural killer cells to fight off, for instance, something like exposure to virus. Um, We can see imbalanced neurotransmitter production where we'll actually see a higher amount of epinephrine produced in a dysbiotic gut. And epinephrine in layman's terms is known as adrenaline 
adrenaline. And so an individual can be experiencing panic attacks or really severe anxiety just based on that dysbiotic gut. It actually sends signals to the central nervous system of survival need or that things are off. It's like a panic alarm. And so you're lacking the landing gear of your serotonin and GABA, which would be made in a symbiotic gut. So you don't have the healthy stress response or the you know safety pad, and then you have an outdrive of the alarm state, and that can really create imbalance in whole body health. So a huge level of influence, even beyond what we typically think of in dysbiosis, where it's more like bloating and digestive woes, if you will. Oh yeah, most definitely. And, and not even to mention, like I said, past episodes, we've nerded out about the estrobolome mm-hmm. and the impact on fertility with dysbiosis and so much more. It's so widespread. Yeah. Um, So yeah, as we focus today on connection, um, I really want to dig in on how the gut is essentially like the motherboard or primary network of communication, if you will, for the body, the brain, and the immune system. And we could even extend it to hormones and metabolism, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's so wild how these systems have a symbiotic relationship with our environment when you're saying that word connection, Becky. And so we can see influence from diet, stress, human interaction, time spent in nature or soil. And then on the other hand, we can even see the opposing effects, just like symbiosis and dysbiosis, where the lack of exposure to nature, um, the high uh, exposure to disinfectants or sterility, um, which we can see in medications as well as in cleaning chemicals and such, excessive refined grains, GMOs, and prescriptive medications, even like birth control beyond excessive use of antibiotics as big drivers of dysbiosis or disconnection. Okay, and so I want to dig a little bit deeper into maybe some of those areas of disconnect and and how we get disconnected from optimal gut health status. Yes, so beyond those that I just mentioned, we'll, we'll go deep dive on a couple. And I think the world of antibiotics, that that's the most kind of common known. And we do see, especially in the pediatric population, um, that early use or early exposure to antibiotic medication can really set the tone of imbalance in the entire allergy pathology. So if we're talking about higher sensitivities on topical allergies or respiratory and inhalant seasonal allergies, as well as immune function and neurological health. Uh, We see that antibiotics are often prescribed without knowing whether it's a bacterial infection or a virus. And so, you know, we really do want to stay vigilant on optimizing the immune system so we can prevent the need for intervention in the first place. And then for those of us that are like, well, I haven't been on an antibiotic for three, five years or maybe over 10 years, which would be fantastic, um, there still is the influence of antibiotics that we're exposed to from our food. So, you know, animals that are raised in those COFAs or those concentrated animal feeding operations are routinely fed upwards of like a quarter pound of antibiotics in, in their ingestion. And then that spills into our runoff water, which makes not only superbugs or drugs drug-resistant bacteria um, where we're not able to use the powerful antibiotics in the hospital system because they become useless. And and that's where really the World Health Organization back a decade ago had said that probiotics are going to be a really integral, necessary component for whole body health as well as immune function. Um, When we're talking about shifts that have happened beyond antibiotics, we look at everything with the pandemic. 
and the increased use of antibacterial products, the increased amount of disinfectants that are being used. And now we've seen that there are even um, antiviral sprays that have just been released. Um, I was just reading up on that. I believe it was Tennessee, and there were about three states that approved these antiviral sprays that haven't gotten full EPA. Oh um, yeah, I know, oh, right? No. Uh huh. And and so it's it, it's just um, something to really consider because there are studies of germ-free mice that they have raised in a sterilized environment, and there is clinical research that demonstrates a lack of gut microbia leads to significant immune deficiency. So you know you have to support your entire body and your immune system. And when you're being exposed to sterility, you have to be pro-vigilant to continue to lay down the good players. And even beyond the you know antibiotics in the animal feed, I would also call out in the world of GMOs that glyphosate is antimicrobial. So glyphosate, which is in the Roundup Ready or genetically modified forms of soy and corn, and used more broadly in as just an agricultural spray. Um, it destroys the soil first, um, and that impacts the soil microbes. Then it destroys the plant microbes, and then it gets into the animal or the human. And um, we can be directly exposed through, again, the runoff water, and, and we see that in areas of higher agricultural concentration as neurotoxic effects. And then we are exposed through our food, which is why I'm a really big proponent of keeping those products completely out of the diet and, and hadn't even connected to listeners, you know, the antimicrobial effect, which I think is really important. Yeah, it's, it's huge. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, our favorite topic, masks and microbiome? Yeah, so, you know, I think that that's another one to note that when we are interfering with our innate respiratory function or our innate immune system, which requires a open circuit of, of exhale and inhalation um, that we are blocking that expelling. And so we're pushing bacteria deeper into the respiratory system and also not regulating the moisture. Um, so that's definitely an area. And we're seeing that point blank. I mean, we're seeing maskne is, is what mm-hmm. some um, uh, doctors are talking, dermatologists are calling it, right? We're also seeing uh, dentists really speaking out a lot about periodontal disease and oral health that's getting more severe. We saw a huge influx in children in schools that were mandated to wear masks to have strep throat infections, which is, you know, bacterial. Um, we have seen higher amounts of respiratory disease, including pneumonia, and um, this it can be bacterially driven as well. Yeah, huge, huge, huge. And I've definitely had clients I've talked to about this. I'm like, well, you're wearing your mask for like 12 hours a day, potentially, you know, on a job site or something like that, eight to 12 hours. Um, And we're having to do things like the perio wash and like um, other kind of oral agents to, you know, reduce bacterial influence. But the best thing to do would be to take off the mask and breathe air. Right. Almost definitely. Yeah. And then the other big thing there that we see in the so outside of industrialized foods outside of antibiotics and outside of some of the direct impact from pandemic i think another one connected to pandemic is stress 
So, you know, when we're under a state of even social stress or anxiety, we have an excessive output of those fight or flight survival chemicals. And um, these can, in research, also influence the growth of imbalanced gut bacteria. So there's this two-way street. Our gut, when in a dysbiotic state, puts out more epinephrine, but also our fight or flight chemicals, non-related to gut, right? The ones that just have been responded from the adrenals. So like our dopamine, norepinephrine, and epinephrine, which yes, epinephrine can be stimulated by dysbiosis, but also we make these from the adrenals when the body perceive survival or stress response, that those themselves also signal and continue to perpetuate the imbalanced gut flora. When we're under stress, we have less saliva production. And in saliva is a lot of antimicrobial properties. Um, We see a lot of biofilm regulation happening there already. Uh, Reduced digestive enzymes, only about a quarter of the amount of digestive enzymes are produced when we're under a stress space, which means that there'll be then more fermentation, larger food particles driving leaky gut, also more fermentation up in the upper area of our intestine tract. And then we also will see sterility under stress alone, um, where we've seen studies where lactobacillus can get completely depleted from chronic stress, and stress can impact secretory IgA, which perpetuates leaky gut. Yeah, I know we've talked in past episodes about um, the influence of increased gastritis um, during yes. pandemic time, but I didn't really think about the bacterial connection. So yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure we're going to see more sterility. You know, I, I was thinking about it more from the exogenous factors of the disinfectants, but not from the internal stress. Yeah, I mean, I've been personally, if if my gut's off, um, you know, sometimes I'll just double down on the targeted strength mm-hmm. probiotic, which is already 60 billion yeah. colony forming units. I might add one in the morning um, if I feel like I had a really poor night of sleep or I've been in a really high rumination mode to sure. just provide more of that support. And of course, uh, doubling down on the food as medicine support as well, which we'll talk about today. So beyond medications in the antibiotic world, there's anything that's a digestive medication is going to have some microbiome biome imbalancing effect. So whether it's a proton pump inhibitor, whether it is an antacid, um, these are going to, over time, imbalance the pH, which the, the acidity of the stomach, the gastric pouch, is creating an environment that's supposed to Um, defend against bacteria and yeast. And when it gets too buffered, then we can see overgrowth of unfavorable bacteria and yeast. And then there's even secondary effects of drugs. So we know that the NSAID drugs really destroy the gut lining, which is the house or the space for the probacteria to live. And then there's things like even birth control. Birth control has an impact on the estrobilome and um, you know how estrogen digesting bacteria thrive. So there can be impact that would influence bowel regularity. And we can even see this um, in levels like butyrate in the gut, uh, which we'll talk about today as well. Okay, and then beyond that, um, beyond our drugs, even like surgical interventions and things like that. I'm thinking, you know, C-section um, and, and seeing a higher rate that's definitely influencing baby's microbiome. But also, you know, you had a lot of influence from your C-section um, just from that exposure. Yeah. Well, bo- both, you know, it's a sterilized environment and you're mm-hmm. given um, IV antibiotics. So that's yep. quite an atom bomb <laughs> to yep. your microbiome. Uh, and, and then radiation, cancer treatment for sure can be a big one as well. That can be quite sterilizing both chemotherapy and radiation. So a lot of things that can throw us off, but the one that I kind of want to round back to is connection of our microbiome and our ancestors. So, you know, the 
technological installations that we've brought in and some of these short-sighted practices like trying to um, out nature <laughs> a virus through antibacterial, antiviral, and disinfectant excessive use or trying to outsmart nature with GMOs, right? All of these kind of shortcuts, um, they tend to really drive an overhaul of something that our ancestors never saw in their microbiome. And this is compounded in the fact that we're less tribal and we're more transient. And so, you know, what I mean by that is in the, the tribal world, you'd have kind of your quote unquote pod, right? And we didn't see people living in high rises. We didn't mm -hmm. see, you know, when we were talking early with pandemic and the idea of lockdown, I was saying, well, there's a very different experience of someone who's living in New York City and could easily engage through subway and apartment living and going into multiple high rises for meals and all the different things, they could easily pass through and engage in thousands of people. Mm -hmm. Whereas there's someone, you know, that lives in a more rural area that might see six to seven people in a day sure. or a max of 50. And that would include picking up their child from school and so forth. Um, so I think that there's a, a, a kind of double-edged sword on, on both of these areas that, you know, as we've come into more of an urban environment of living, that that does create potentially more risk of dysbiosis. But also, if we completely disconnect with humans, that that in itself will also drive dysbiosis. So we do need to stay connected to humans, period. It's what makes humans thrive. We require an interconnectedness. Um, you know, we share and interchange virus and bacteria with our tribe, if you will. Um, and, and ideally, it's more diverse beyond a household in itself so that there's dynamics within genetics and such. Um, and this bacteria diversity is going to drive, you know, more balanced mood and a more robust functional immune system. And the urbanized lifestyles, what we're seeing beyond that kind of transient property, we're also seeing higher exposure to pollution. We're seeing consumption of more nutrient-depleted synthetic foods and, and, and then higher amounts of the exposure of the disinfectants and such. And all of these will contribute to dysbiotic health patterns. Sure. I'm thinking about this with Noah, um, you know, being raised in a very small tribe these days and not getting that interchange of, of bacteria from maybe, you know, as many people as he normally would if it weren't total you know, lockdown, isolation, whatnot. Yeah. And we're, I'm, I'm we're, glad we have pets. Um. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that today. Yeah. Actually, there's a really Good. important study on green space and pets and the difference. Okay. Um, but I was, I was just talking with Becky like last week. I was like, oh yeah, like when Stella was approaching six months or maybe at eight months, we t started taking her to mm -hmm. music classes. And it's like, you know, they're like every shaker, they're just putting their mouth on everything, you know, and there, there was, I think, 10 to 12 babies in the class always. And they have like the slobber bin and then they have like the like community bin that sure. you can like reuse. And I was laughing. I was like, you know that like half of the things in the community bin were still slobbered oh, on. Yeah. <laughs> if it was my kid, everything. Like. Right. And like you think as a mom, you're vigilant and you're putting, okay, right. the yellow one they had in their mouth, I'll put that right. over there. Right. But like I know that there's such an interchange and interplay and, and totally different diversity than we're going to see in, in this young population. Sure. Um, and kind of along that line, let's talk a little bit more about the microbe impact on genetics or how your ancestors essentially imprint your body. So maybe this ancestral microbiome um, influence. 
Yeah. So the healthy microbiome is going to be more connected to what your ancestors had. Um, and that's been lost through a lot of these, again, kind of short-sighted practices. So when we're looking at, and what I mean by, by what your ancestors had, I mean both the practices of hunting and gathering, the processes of, again, staying connected with humans, having lower stress, having um, you know less inflammatory diet, no chemical exposure, et cetera, right? Um, and so if we're looking at the impact of the microbiome and comparing even beyond chromosomes, it's really wild that like 99% of our genes are from microbes and not from chromosomes. Um, and so you have approximately 3.3 million microbial genes, mainly bacteria. And across the population of humans, there's just under 10 million different microbial genes. And this was some work that was done by Dr. Rodney Dietert. And um, he noted that we have 22,000 to 25,000 chromosomal genes. So these are the genes that were um, analyzed through the Human Genome Pro Project. And what that means is that you have about 2,000 more chromosomal genes than an earthworm, if we're talking about like genodiversity, right? And when we're looking at the microbiome, there are 3.3 million microbial genes. And that means that there's more than 99% microbial genetic information impacting us. That's so wild. And I know we've talked about how the number of cells of bacteria outnumber our cells of our body 10 to 1, but the genetic impact just makes it that much more influential. Yeah, most, most definitely. Okay, so now let's get into how we can start to mimic maybe a more ancestral approach or how we can achieve this more connected symbiotic relationship with our gut microbiome. Yeah, so a lot of it comes back to, again, the how great-grandmother kind of did it type thing. So if you're growing up on a farm and you're drinking raw milk and you're exposed to the livestock animal in a small farm environment, not a COFA, right? <laughs> um, and you're getting the microbes within that environment, it turns out that that's quite protective. I mean, we've seen studies on raw milk and asthma and allergy even later in decades from exposure in childhood of individuals that had raw milk and less asthma or allergy. Um, we've seen also that individuals that get in the dirt, right? Not pseudo nature, but like real <laughs> viable soil. Um, and I think that that's worth noting. Like I said, you know, there's, there's dirt and then there's a live soil. There's sterile, just like the microbiome, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so that's why regenerative agriculture is so important when we're talking about the, the viability of our soil and ecological management of microbes and, and supporting robust diversity of plants, which creates nutrient density, of course. But keeping the soil alive is, is really important. And we've seen if early life exposure to environmental microbes increase gut microbial diversity, well, then in, in influencing these patterns of the microbial um, assembly, if you will, will be seen in higher amounts in soil biodiversity, which is lost as land changes into more of an urbanization. And so this, this physician actually states that this could be a public health threat, the lack of viable soil that is exposed in urbanized environments. There was an article from 2020 in the Journal of Nature, which I'll link here, and they called it the microbioscape. <laughs> microbioscape research, and it's the crossover between the microbiome science and landscape. 
Um, and, and I found this to be really wild information. I'm thinking back to the Joel Salatin episode and then the um, Daniel Vitalis wild fed episode that we had recently. I'll link those two in the yeah, show Yeah, where he talked well. about an artifact. He's like, even uh-huh. a tree in New York City is an artifact. Um, and an artifact <laughs> is something that's been impacted by man, right? right? Um, and of course, within this connection beyond the dirt stuff is staying connected with your people, hugging and sharing and, and physically connecting to get that diversity. Okay, and then digging more into this article in microbioscape research. Yes, that's hard to say, microbioscape. I like that word. Um, This field of study really examines the environmental microbiome and its relationship with people and nature. And there have been a lot of studies over the past 10 years demonstrating the importance, highlighting this more ancestral approach as optimal. Yeah, so there's been a couple cool studies. I'll, I'll call out two of them. In 2015, researchers showed that the green space proximity was inversely associated with atopic sensitization in children. So they had four study cohorts, and they looked at children and adolescents, and they looked at the prevalence of atopic sen- sen- sensitization, which includes atopic dermatitis, allergic rhinitis, so runny, itchy nose, hay fever-like symptoms, and then allergic asthma. And they looked at five different land types, forest, agricultural land, built areas or urban areas, wetlands, and water bodies. And they found that the amount of green environment, which was the forest um, and the more agricultural or rural land around the homes, were inversely associated with the risk of this atopic sensitization in children. And they found, for example, that the land pattern um, explained upwards of 20% of the variation in the relative abundance of the proteobacteria. They also saw residents living in the higher surrounding biodiversity supported a higher diversity of the immunoregulatory gamma proteobacteria. Um, So they were getting both positive immune regulation as well as positive gut flora in that exposure to actual, you know, more land and, and viable soil. In 2018, there was a study that looked at Finnish homes and they looked at their doormats, which is kind of interesting. And they looked at the debris deposited on the doormats, so um, rural versus urban households. And they found that the bacterial community composition was also you know, characterized in different areas. So they had built area, forest, transitional, and open area. And they looked at um, various forms of probiotic flora and noted that the relative abundance of the pathogen bacteria um, was higher in the built areas or the more urban areas. And so I thought that that was really interesting. Not only was it that there's lower, substantially lower amounts of the good gut flora, but there's actually higher amounts of pathogen. And then they found that having animals, so domestic animals like pets, like dogs and cats, um, it altered the association between the richness of the gamma proteobacteria and the diversity of some of the formiculites. Um, but it did not create the diversity or the transfer of the environmental microbe from the rich areas, right? Like, so like it did, that dog that was walking in urban areas was bringing more urban bacteria into the home, which still relatively reduced that individual's immune stress or, or helped that child to have less immune susceptibility, but not relative to a dog that was walking in a more rural space. So, I mean, one area of focus could be like actually going on hikes, so getting mm-hmm. out of your city environment beyond, like you think of like the metro parks, sure. where it's all dead soil. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're walking on grass, 
but it's dead, chemically treated soil. So you're not getting that live viability. Yeah, and you might even be picking up some of the chemicals that are sprayed and utilized. You definitely are. Yeah, um, yeah. Super interesting and all the more reason to like be called into nature more frequently, I think. Yeah, and I was reflecting about, um, so I've mentioned to you all that we purchased a property in, a little bit further west out, outside of Austin and um, Becky was recently on the land with me and we were looking at these really cool kind of fossil-y yeah I mean I don't know what defines a fossil of how many x amount of years it has to be old but it was rock formation of oyster shells and basically from when this land was completely in the ocean Um, and so this land still has arrowheads (laughs) this land there's a lot of Apache tribe um, in this area of Texas and it's really wild to be on land that's so untouched even when I compare hiking in parks that are, you know, 100-acre parks or 70-acre parks in Austin, but have still been managed and regulated, sure. it's, it's a different, a completely different, I'm sure, microbiota. Yeah, so cool. Um, and today with over half of the world's population living in an urban setting, um, I'm sure we're seeing more and more of an influence of this, but um, the UN projects that over 66% of us will live in a built city environment um, within two decades. So let's talk about how that will shape and contribute to overall health. Yeah, because I mean, I don't think it's fair or reasonable to tell everyone, hey, go radica- make a radical shift from your life and eradicate the city and go move to the right. country because then the country will become the new city and X, Y, Z, obviously, right? Um, but there are a lot of what are called nature-based health and interventions, NBIs apparently, hadn't heard of that phrase, Um, nature-based health interventions. And this is in theory to support a symbiotic relationship between humans, biodiversity in our environment, and supporting a healthy microbial community to continue to grow. Um, And so this includes things like therapeutic horticulture, biodiversity and conservation activities. So like when you see urban gardens um, and then taking it to the next level and actually incorporating compost and then taking it to the next level and using, um, you know, more heirloom varietals of seeds and and all of this is going to be, you can always kind of one up, right? So even exercising in green space has its pros. Um, And so researchers are starting to look at the green infrastructure like urban parks. Um, And I think when I use the word green, I want to pause because a lot of times when we think of the word green, we're only um, kind of uh, narrowly considering it in the sense of output of our imprint on our our mm-hmm. imprint on our carbon footprint, and so we think of a lot of again technology advances of being quote unquote green, <laughs> but I'm talking about nature. It's different. Um, anything? <laughs> I can't stop thinking. Maybe we'll get to this, but about the the Bill Gates push toward um, basically. <laughs> technology derived everything but especially um, like the meat the synthetic meat thing that's just like hung in my head all week yeah yeah a big push and um I, I think that that's absolutely sterilizing you know I mean as as, as we've had breakdowns on other meat like products sure and um just how industrialized they are right high omega-6 and um definitely many of them having possibility of higher glyphosate impact and um, not providing the actual nutrients. It might provide the grams on a macro level of protein, but we're not going to get the therapeutic nutrients that we get in meat. 
Um, and again, it's just simple. It's one ingredient from nature. Getting back to how nature provides in a regenerative model, grass-fed, pasture-raised best. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we always need to seek how we can rewild our environmental microbiome. And, and in that diet space, it's like that's bringing back in the bone broth, bringing sure. back in consumption of a snout-to-tail philosophy. And I think that all of that is is really important. And, and considering as much wilderness-type therapy you can get into, um, exercising more outdoors instead of indoors, but really trying to find some of the real access to nature, I think, is key. Okay, so some positive shifts or programs coming to life. I'm hopeful. Um, and I think, you know, like everything, it's it's a continuum, right? Um, so you continue to push the dial a little closer to optimal as you connect with your body, connect with nature, connect with your food system. Um, let's talk about maybe some application goals here for real people, whether you're living rural or urban, um, and how you can kind of modify based on where you live. Yeah. I mean, so I think number one minimum is get outside, (laughs) get outside for at least an hour a day, every single day. And if you can find a reason to get outside, I think you get a a try, a a kind of duality impact. Like if you have a dog to walk, well, then you're getting the microbiome exposure from that pet in the household. If you can get outside in, like I said, a more natural environment versus a pseudo nature environment, even better. Um, If you can get outside with the purpose of playing a role with growing your own food or at least getting dirty would be key. And and we talked about like with the episode with Joel um, on, you know, starting from a house plant of getting herbs growing in your kitchen all the way out to if you can play a role with your community garden space or if you have a backyard doing raised garden beds. Brady gifted me garden beds for Valentine's Day this year. So I'm really excited that we'll be working with an expert gardener because I've had like three failed attempts and it it can really break down your, your I don't know, confidence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like even visiting animal farms, we, we do that. You guys see all the time on Instagram. Um, I'm always taking Stella. We have a couple friends that uh, do various, um, you know, either, either in an agricultural setting of an organic uh, farm all the way to, you know, grass fed dairy and, um, all across the board. And we really like to continue to go out and see and experience that microbial exposure, um, in that way. And we're getting not only the microbes, but when we're outside, we're getting, of course, that vitamin D. Um, and we see that even just exposure to clean air and mm-hmm. oxygen. I mean, this this is things that are ancestrally providing us really absolutely critical health support. And then what about diet? Um, so obviously avoiding the GMOs and avoiding avoiding the meats that are raised in those confined animal feedlot operations that have the antibiotic exposure. But what else can we do in our diet to help with um, our microbiome? I think getting enough phytocompounds and plant tannins is key. Uh, and so, you know, we want to get diversity in the diet. We want to stay anti-inflammatory. We want to eat, again, our meats from those more pasture-raised, grass-fed, and, and in, in that kind of snout-to-tail approach. But we don't want to forget about the plants and ideally eating seasonally and locally would be best. But a lot of antioxidant compounds in plants can actually fight against bad bacterial overgrowth or some of them can even help us to get into the biofilms or the networks of bacteria so that we can eradicate and kill off. Um, some plants themselves even have antimicrobial, antibacterial, antifungal, antiviral effects. And we think of especially things like 
uh, oregano oil, thyme, and so forth. And it's, it's just important to kind of take pause and look at this because the more robust our microbiome is, um, this produces antipathogen metabolites through our short chain fatty acids. And that creates better colonization of resistance against pathogens. So, you know, we can see this as a primary protection. So like if you consume chicken that has salmonella in it, right, that's going to immediately impact there. And then even in a secondary bacterial infection. And so we can see this in the influence, even like in a respiratory pro-inflammatory state, where if the microbiome is optimized, that that's going to reduce the impact of that pathogen taking over in our innate immune system. And then secondarily, it's going to regulate the inflammatory effects and also regenerate the compounds that continue the fight if you will, and, and playing a role in the learned immune system function, which I think is super key. Uh, balancing out your omega-3 to omega-6 ratio is really important. So keeping out those industrialized oils, getting quality uh, fish in the diet is definitely key. So the wild caught fish about three times a week would be goal there. Uh, and then cultured foods, definitely. So getting some viable, live, active bacteria in the diet from probiotic-rich foods. Yes. Um, and then beyond that, let's talk a little bit more about fiber and produce. Yeah, I, th I think that's really important, Becky, because a lot of times when we are dealing with gut dysbiosis, we feel like we don't tolerate, uh, you know, the vegetables and especially some of those I find that are more fermentable, like on the FODMAP plan, that those could cause more drama, if you will, with individuals that are dealing with SIBO where they're getting belching and bloating and distension from these foods. Uh, but as we've talked before on the idea of like a carnivore approach to doing a gut reset, it really is important to have, I believe, produce in the diet. I believe just as much as we are set up to be hybrids to use glucose and ketones, I believe that we are set up to be hybrids as omnivores. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I think there's an essential need for both animal and also plant in an optimal diet. And um, we can see this both with the impact of fiber as like a prebiotic, right? Which is going to impact even LPS, so the lipopolysaccharide. We've seen that an abundance or higher intake of fiber can reduce LPS exposure. And um, that plays a huge role directly with your microbiome, but also it reduces the endotoxicity if the microbiome is imbalanced. And then we've seen even further particular plant-based antioxidants like isoflavonones and quercetin, um, consumption of foods that have these different compounds has been shown to produce beneficial responses in this LPS evoked endotoxemia. And LPS, again, um, that lipopolysaccharide goes up when there is dysbiosis. Essentially what happens is it increases gut permeability to uh, release the bacteria imbalance and the bacteria byproducts of toxins or endotoxins in the body. And that can really drive chronic inflammation and metabolic dysfunction and even autoimmune conditions. That's where you've likened it to like drilling holes in your gut, if you will. Yeah, I mean, so keeping anti-inflammatory foods, that's why also like the wild fish would be an extra benefit, um, and keeping herb seasoning spices as a part of a healthy, diverse diet can actually attenuate or regulate the disruption of an intestinal barrier issue. And we see this in studies with LPS inflammation. Um, let's talk a little bit more just while we're on the topic of fiber um, about short-chain fatty acids and, and how they're connected as well as what prebiotics actually are. 
Okay, yeah. So the um, short-chain fatty acids are the metabolic end products uh, in the presence of probiotics and fiber, generally speaking. Um, So probiotics in our gut make short-chain fatty acids as a byproduct, and the most known is butyrate, and then there's other organic acids like lactic and acetic acids. And what these do is they lower the pH of the intestinal contents, and that creates a less desirable environment for harmful bacteria, as well as combating against colon cancer. We see butyrate levels to be really important to prevent colon cancer. Um, So short-chain fatty acids will increase in a healthy production when the gut is in a symbiotic state and there's bacterial balance. Um, and prebiotics are non-digestible compounds or non-digestible foods that feed your probacteria. So they maintain kind of like a fertilizer to the flowers in your gut, if you will. Um, they maintain that viability or the, the livelihood, the diversity of your gut flora. And these short-chain fatty acids are so important that they even influence on a mucosal level your serotonin release. There's been studies that look at short-chain fatty acids on regulation of the sympathetic nervous system. So again, that fight-or-flight response and even the ability to influence memory and learning process. And so in some sense, it's these end products of your bacterial balance, these short-chain fatty acids based on your prebiotic and probiotic synergy that have the final say on your mental health. They really regulate that environment for what bacteria can thrive. So what stuff is going to set up camp based on those short-chain fatty acids. Super, super cool and so wild how it's all connected. Yeah, and I mean, then kind of connecting further to the immune and the influence of short-chain fatty acids, um, when optimized and short-chain fatty acids are present, we're going to see more immune balancing T-regulatory cell formation. And so this is where, again, we go back to that GALT or the gut-associated lymphatic tissue. And when we're looking at regulating that learned or acquired immune response, that requires also robust short-chain fatty acids. And then they have that secondary anti-inflammatory. We've seen inhibition of interleukin-17 and enhanced activity of T-regulatory cells when we have optimal bacterial balance. And then is just adding probiotics enough? And also to that question, I guess, should everyone be taking a probiotic? Yeah, so I think you have to think of, again, like this analogy of the gut as a garden bed and just adding seed to dead to dead soil doesn't mean that a garden's going to grow per se, mm-hmm. but I think it's a good start. Um, and as we know, some seeds can grow in water as long as the correct nutrients are provided. Um, and so I think that, yes, everyone needs to take probiotics unless they are 100% immersed in a more ancestral lifestyle. So for those that are running an organic biodynamic farm or garden, hallelujah, (laughs) you may not need a probiotic. You're probably still eating them because you're putting up foods and, you know, cultured sauerkraut and doing like yogurt and things like that. But I think those are the only ones that don't need to take as a a pill. I think just eating probiotic (laughs) foods alone and not mimicking that lifestyle, you still need to take Mm -hmm. a probiotic. Um, You know, just one example of how healthy bacteria can prevent infection, which I think is interesting, is lactobacillus acidophilus. So that's in our restore, it's actually in all of our probiotics in the line. Um, So lactobacillus acidophilus has been shown clinically to block salmonella infection and spread in chickens. So they've actually used lactobacillus acidophilus in the poultry um, world, again, because of bacteria 
antibiotic resistance. Um, so this was an intervention that ended up saving the poultry industry, was providing high amounts of lactobacillus um, when there was a huge salmonella outbreak. And yet that's not really talked about much because all we hear yep. in the media is, do they even work? Right. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. then fear on the food system might be breaking down. We should give that. We should just do lab meats. Uh-huh. That's the yep. solution. That's More the solution. sterility. Yep. <laughs> so I think it's just so wild. There's so much solid research out there on probiotics from immune to digestive to inflammatory to metabolic to hormone health and beyond. I think that so much of the polypharmacy or polytech in interactions or interventions that are required to keep people alive could really be resolved or at least reduced when we're able to get back to working with the body and keeping a viable, robust microbiome. And I think that the most direct path when we're talking about do you need probiotic supplement is ensuring that you have an ID strain and known third-party tested CFUs of probiotics. Let's talk about what that means. Um, so I know we've talked about on here before and, and certainly on our website on all of the probiotic pages we talk about, but what exactly is ID guarantee? What does that mean within the probiotics of our line? Um, and then I also want to talk about assessment of the microbiome, but let's get into the ID guarantee first. Yeah. So ID guarantee means that the formulas within the naturally nourished line contain actually genetically tested identified strains to ensure the presence of the beneficial microorganisms only at the said colony forming units, and that's a CFU. So our probiotics are going to contain strains with research demonstrated benefits to health. And then there's also a potency guarantee beyond just the ID of strain guarantee. The potency guarantee notes that all of the labels stated potency per dose will go through the date of expiration based on proper storage, which proper storage is not necessarily refrigeration. It's a cool, dry, cool, dry place. So keeping this the cap on, which is important, um, and then you know keeping it like in your pantry or by your vanity is more than sufficient. Actually, sometimes better. Mm -hmm. Because if we're popping probiotics in and out of the fridge and we get distracted by another family member and we leave them out, um, there's more condensation and shifts that occur in the cellulose capsule. And so it's actually best to keep the temperature consistent. So once you get them in the mail from us, I really recommend you just put them, again, in your vanity or in um, an area like in your cabinets, not above the stove, but um, if you have a section in your pantry or something like that, um, that's going to ensure that you do get that potency guarantee as well. And then all of our probiotic products are going to be manufactured, stored, and transported under a temperature-controlled environment to ensure that they are uh, viable and healthy. Um, and everything is manufactured in a state-of-the-art facility um, where we regulate uh, controls to protect bacteria imbalance, exposure to light, heat, and moisture. Um, and then in terms of our formulas, we've got five different probiotic formulas and we actually have an entire chart um, that breaks these down and describes them so that you can figure out which one is going to work best for you. Um, but five distinct formulas with innovative probiotic blends um, ranging from you know daily support to kind of a more targeted relief. 
Yes, and so we'll link that chart for you guys in today's episode notes for sure. And, you know, the general rule of thumb is starting with the Restore Baseline Probiotic, which is a 50-50 blend of the lacto and bifido strains at 15 billion cultures. And as Becky mentioned earlier on the YouTube channel, we have the video on how to do our probiotic challenge. And in that challenge, we have you look at your waist measurement circumference to assess for bloating and distension, as well as checking in on shifts in bowel movements, checking in on shifts in energy, sleep, mood, and you do some preliminary measurements for three days, and then you increase in three-day increments from one capsule upwards of four. So you go from 15 billion all the way up to 60 billion over that kind of 12-day active testing window. And if you improve with the increased capsules, then you would shift to the targeted strength probiotic. You might do that for three to six months and then go back to the restore baseline. Also following a gut cleanse, I like people to do a probiotic challenge to kind of check in on where their gut microbiome is at. Do they need you know, more flora support after that sterility of some level? But a natural cleanse using um, botanical compounds is not going to be as abrasive or kind of atom bomb hitty, if you will, as antibiotics. And so we, we're not starting from scratch, we're just then kicking up and supporting the selective flora. And then if there is intolerance, um, we'd go then to the beat the bloat cleanse. Um, and we're working right now on actually uh, revising the beat the bloat ebook, which I don't think had been done in, I don't know when that one came out, but I feel like 2016 or maybe even earlier, maybe 2015, um, because I think I I first put that together with my first gut cleanse probably. Uh Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the bacterial cleanse or the beat the bloat cleanse is appropriate from SIBO to candida to any form of dysbiosis. And it's a great place to start to really ensure that you're resetting your microbiome. And if you're living in a modernized environment, like pretty much every listener is, I think it is good to provigilantly kind of plow the gut, kick up the dust, if you will, and push that reset button. And so the Beat the Bloat bundle of supplements incorporates four different tools. Our Berberine Boost, which uh, provides coptis in conjunction with berberine and some traditional Chinese uh, medicine herbs to aid in the availability. Uh, Berberine itself is antimicrobial, antifungal, and antiviral, really powerful player in gut microbiome health, and also can help with healthy metabolic effects and uh, blood sugar balance. It works as an oral hypoglycemic. Uh, The other kind of cleanser formula in there is the herbal immune. Um, Herbal immune also being supportive for both bacteria, yeast, and even getting into the world of parasite there uh, that has thyme, oregano, sage, and lemon balm. Lemon balm has some awesome studies on antiviral effects, including even like Epstein-Barr. And then we incorporate ultimate detox in this bundle so that as you're breaking down the bacterial imbalance, we're supporting your liver and kidneys in the um, encapsulation and excretion of those endotoxins so that they don't drive imbalanced inflammation or um, drive kind of uh, drama in the body as far as brain fog and some of the undesirable effects of a cleanse. And then the fourth formula in there is a probiotic of sorts. It's our GI cleanup. 
which has phagocytotic uh, properties and it's able to actually eat away at gut flora imbalance to create space uh, for the good gut flora and then there is a little bit of probacteria in there to start to kind of set the seeding process. Yeah so that's the supplement breakdown in a nutshell (laughs) or basic explanation. Becky let's share with listeners the updates that we've done on the Beat the Bloat ebook. Yes so we've added and very extensive Q&A section based on questions we've been getting for probably years um, from clients and from people doing um, the actual cleanse. So a very extensive Q&A section of, can I have this XYZ? What about adaptogenic mushrooms when you say no mushrooms, la la la, all of the questions answered. Um, And then we've also added uh, meal plan considerations for SIBO, including a low FODMAP plan. Um, We've made the meal plan dairy-free because we realized that was an area um, that a lot of people were struggling with ideas for, um, or it wasn't super clear if cultured dairy was allowed or not. Um, So we've made the meal plan even more clear and and kind of two phases if you want to go low FODMAP for SIBO or just to see how you respond. Um, We've added a ton of updated research on all of the constituents of our supplement products, um, as well as just general nerdy goodness research. Um, And then we've added clarification on the phase one and phase two of the protocol, just so it's a little bit more crystal clear and there's not as much overlap. Yeah, Um, I had it before, like phase one, weeks one through three, phase one, weeks four through six, phase two, six or seven plus weeks and then and yeah we definitely break down more of that also in the YouTube video mm-hmm. uh how to do a beat the bloat cleanse yep. and we'll have a lot of that content into this updated ebook of how do you determine if you need to add in yeah. you know the GI reset or how do you determine if you need to prolong your cleanse yep. or is your body ready to move on with that phase two bacteria rebuild or the repollination mode for yep. sure and we actually have you now do a probiotic challenge to really determine, okay, maybe you did a probiotic challenge prior, saw how you responded. You do another one when you're at that completion phase of, of kind of the, you know, kill mode, if you will, of, of the first phase um, to see and assess if you're ready. And it's really cool that you can see how you respond before and after your cleanse to make sure you're ready to move on. Yeah. Always good to have objective data beyond the subjective of like, I feel better and my bowels are better formed and my yep. skin's clearing yep. up, but am I ready for probiotics? Is yep. the, the beast out, if you will? Yes. <laughs> are we tolerating? Yeah. Um, and then just more support for coping with your cleanse, um, as well as some deep dive on biofilm busting and just added layers, I think, overall um, for support for your cleanse. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. So where are we going now, Becky? What last things do we want to cover? I feel like this is a pretty uh, thorough episode, to oh, say yeah. the least. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to hit, um, because you mentioned something about um, BDNF related to the microbiome, so I want to hit a little bit on the gut as the second brain of the body. So let's go there next. Yes. So like I said, there is that episode brain gut access, which we will link in the show notes. And that's the really deep dive episode on this topic. But 
the big picture is that the gut is intertwined with neurons and it serves as the manufacturing plant for over 30 neurotransmitters. So most of these neurotransmitters are going to be participating in brain function, um, aiding in mood stability, cognitive function, and so much more. So over 90% of the body's serotonin is manufactured and stored within the gut. And as I mentioned, a lot of that ties back to the good bacteria symbiotic state of the lacto and bifido presence, and also that serotonin mucosal membrane release through presence of short-chain fatty acids, so that combination of symbiosis. And we know that also other feel-good neurotransmitters, like 50% of the body's dopamine and majority of the GABA, that um, kind of landing gear for the stress response, are made in the gut. And this all comprises the enteric nervous system. And this is what is the primary division of our autonomic nervous system. Um, it really drives the regulatory function of our body, including things like heart rate, digestive function would be an assumed one, but a lot of people don't tie like tachycardia or arrhythmias to bacterial imbalance. Respiratory rate, so even experiencing things like shortness of breath, or as we talked about the asthma and allergy connection most definitely, sexual arousal, libido can be tied as well as, of course, the microbiome connection of hormone regulation. And this enteric nervous system really plays a role as the primary driver of our fight or flight response. Um, the ENS has over 500 neurons, uh, really only secondary to the brain. And these work bilaterally in communicating with our central nervous system via the vagus nerve, which is the largest nerve of our autonomic nervous system going from our brain stem all the way through the colon. And the vagus nerve works both in that parasympathetic regulatory mode as well as the sympathetic stress fight or flight mode. And this is like the highway of info transfer from the enteric nervous system to the whole body, the peripheral nervous system, as well as that central nervous system. And it gives also bilateral feedback between the HPA axis. So <laughs> big picture, there's a lot in this brain gut access. And um, as I mentioned, it can be very chicken and egg. Got it. And then BDNF or brain-derived neurotrophic factor, what's the deal there? Yeah. So we've seen in a really cool study, there was a randomized clinical trial, double-blind, uh, against a placebo and bifido bacteria, which bifido strain is in all of our probiotics as well, except for the GI cleanup, but it is in the uh, restore baseline, the targeted strength, the kids biotic, and bifidobacteria, and again, lactobacillus are the two most well-researched strains. This study took bifidobacteria against a placebo in a randomized blind clinical trial and saw an impact on the probiotics group, which showed greater improvement in mental flexibility, as well as a reduced stress score, and they actually saw significant increases in the serum BDNF level. And so your brain-derived neurotrophic factor is highly tied to neuroplasticity or anti-aging. The higher, the healthier the brain function. And we'll link that research study in the show notes. Super, super cool. Um, and then, you know, if you need to do a cleanse, there are also significant influences that resetting the microbiome is going to have on mood, brain, health, hormones. So last year we actually posted three different studies and I'll make sure we link those in the show notes of how berberine, just one of the compounds in our beat the bloat cleanse can modulate hormones and uterine tissue, which is really remarkable. 
Um, but literally all four of the formulas in the Beat the Bloat Cleanse have a positive influence on hormones. Yeah, most definitely. And so it's it's wild. Or whole body health and another function, mm-hmm. you know. So we see the double dip of immune, you know, from the herbal immune, again, oil of oregano, thyme, lemon balm, having fantastic impact. We've seen thyme and oregano to influence progesterone, which often individuals under stress are running lower in progesterone. We've seen benefits of lemon balm also featured in the uh, herbal immune as playing a role with strengthening and relaxing women, aiding in alleviating irritability and depression associated with PMS. So for my individuals that have PMDD or premenstrual dysmorphic disorder, um, we find that adding that herbal immune, like at day 20 or so of their cycle for that last week of that luteal phase can be very beneficial to mellow out the mood and provide more mood stability as well as some diuretic effects. So aiding with that fluid retention that can come on towards the end of your cycle and regulating that bloating. And as I mentioned earlier, the lemon balm itself has also awesome antiviral effects. So even if we're talking about, excuse me, even if we are talking about um, like herpes simplex or Epstein-Barr, we can see really fantastic outcomes from use of that formula and pulsing it in proactively can yield those benefits. And then on the berberine, Becky, yeah, we've seen sexual hormone binding globulin improvement. We've seen reductions in BMI and waist-to-hip ratio, so actually body fat metabolism beyond just the body weight shift. We see improved insulin resistance and regulated glucose levels. As I mentioned, it works as an oral hypoglycemic. We've seen reductions in fibroids and abnormal cells. Um, And we've even seen, you know, less GI adverse effects when compared to metformin. And yet when we're looking at berberine compared to metformin and uh, lotrazole, which is another uh, medication that's used for fertility, we've seen berberine to have really beautiful successes without the undesirable side effects. Yeah, I think a cleanse has has become like one of my primary interventions with infertility at this point for all of those reasons and beyond. So that berberine boost and herbal immune are those two primary supplements to kind of plow or kill off. Um, And, you know, we dig even more into the mechanisms in that Beat the Bloat Cleanse video on our YouTube, um, which I'll for sure link. Um, But we also discuss in that video, um, like how to take the formulas, how to use them. And then um, we talk about the other two products in the bundle, our GI Cleanup, which is that probiotic formula that's got bacteriophage action, um, really helps to kind of clean up the debris, if you will, and break those biofilm networks so you can kind of get at the root. And then the ultimate detox, which helps to remove debris from die-off as well and support the liver in this process. Yes. And then, of course, as I mentioned, we offer additional tools to support. So when and where you would layer in detox packs, uh, if you would need that GI reset. And then we provide on another YouTube video, Coping with the Gut Cleanse, where we focus highlights on food as medicine. So to get you guys over there, I'm not gonna do too much food as medicine in today's episode. We'll link both of those videos to support you guys. And the ebook is available for, I don't think we've told them yet, only $1.99. And so we're doing a promo for the next two weeks. If you're listening to this live, which we hope you are subscribed to the Naturally Nourished podcast where you get your dings when we release the episodes weekly. Um, And this will go through the month of March in the year 2021. And what's that code, Becky? It's beat the bloat. 
All one Easy word. to remember. So it's Beat the Bloat, and that is for the ebook for only $1.99. And then the Beat the Bloat supplement bundle is always discounted. So that will just retain its discount, which is 18% off. All of our bundles are set up to be that way. All right, so let's give maybe just a couple of little bite-sized food as medicine um, recommendations just to kind of round things out. We won't reveal too much. Yes. So, you know, when you're getting started with the active cleanse, it's important to really starve off the yeast or bacterial overgrowth by not feeding it excessive carbohydrates. So carbohydrate restriction is key. And we actually pull out all grains completely um, so that we are able to really um, not have these adhesive, sticky compounds in the gut, which could create more overgrowth. Uh, we limit carbohydrates to 60 grams total a day. And yes, if you are already keto or at a lower level, you could stay at your lower level. But with that being said, something else we're including in the ebook is the idea that candida specifically can get very thrifty and we can see its capabilities of feeding on ketones. So for individuals that have been on a very extended low carbohydrate diet, they may need to actually refeed, if you will, or kind of challenge or bloom the yeast in the body, get out from those biofilms and get an active flare during their cleanse to actually get into the internetworks. And so for some individuals that are chronically low carb, we will have them actually as an option in our protocol to do a refeeding to get to the root cause. So that six 60 grams of carbs is a general start point. You might go lower. You might actually rev up if you're not getting outcomes as well. And then we do hold off probiotic-rich foods for the first at least four weeks. And then as Becky said, we kind of teach you in the ebook how to introduce. We start with the supplement introduction before the food so that we have those ID guarantee feedback because there is possibility that your probiotic foods could have overgrowth of a bad sure. bacteria. Yeah. And you're actually getting, a, your gut is actually, you know, recalibrated and telling you something isn't right. So we want you to strategically reintroduce from the probiotic first, and then you can kind of bring in the probiotic foods. There's a whole section on therapeutic foods. So from anti-inflammatory roots like turmeric and ginger to cruciferous vegetables, including like our broccoli, kale, cauliflower, Brussels, cabbage, aliums, all these detox supporters, the importance of tea like green tea and rooibos and how those tannins can work to support bacterial balance. Uh, cacao, if I didn't mention with the prebiotics, you know, cacao and cacao nibs are a fantastic prebiotic fiber. Um, so we incorporate recipes that support all of these food as medicines and even things like coconut oil, which then has the antifungal caprylic acid and lauric acid to combat the overgrowth of yeast that can flare after bacteria overgrowth. And then in the second phase, you get to, once you've done the probiotic challenge, reintroduce some probiotic foods. And I think that gives you really great goals and maybe some new inspiration too, if you weren't tolerating probiotics prior, um, to start bringing in some yogurt or coconut yogurt or things like kombucha and fermented veggies. Yeah, most definitely. Okay. And then we commonly discuss the reasons for doing our cleanse. In fact, you know, you shared the details of all five of your cleanses, as we mentioned from skin health to hormones, fertility, and digestive health. Um, we'll also share the candida and dysbiosis quiz in today's episode, just to let people see where they might fall in terms of their tendency. And I recommend doing that along with the probiotic challenge. Um, but before we go, um, I'd love for you to just touch on doing the cleanse proactively for 
immune health. So would it make sense to do the cleanse even if we think that we passed the probiotic challenge um, and we're just kind of dealing with some other residual symptoms? And also how often would you recommend doing a cleanse? So I do think annually it's a really good kind of like house cleaning, <laughs> housekeeping, if you will, or spring cleaning type thing. Uh, you know, the an imbalance between our commensal or, or balanced favorable bacteria and pathogenic or harmful species uh, can really activate pathogenic mechanisms in the body. And remember, pathogens include bacteria, yeast, and virus. So when we're looking at pathogen activation of our toll-like receptors, which are found on our intestinal immune cells, they create a pro-inflammatory innate and adaptive immune response, including the T-helper 17 differentiation, and they recruit neutrophils and macrophages, types of white blood cells, um, that are going to come to that affected site of interest. It's important to note that these effects can be both acute and chronic. So if an individual has dysbiosis that they've just normalized, right, um, or if their bacteria status isn't optimized, then we can see beyond inflammatory bowel disease or intestinal dysbiotic triggers, we can see an abnormal adaptive immune response. And I think that that's really important to note as we're in a pandemic, and this has only exposed the Achilles heel of, of course, metabolic health in America, but I would also extend that to the Achilles heel of microbiome health imbalances. So I think it's important to note again, if um, we have abnormal adaptive immune response, that's going to increase the pathological inflammatory process of disease, and that's going to have a more inflammatory response to any pathogen. In fact, we see that um, intestinal microbial composition can play a big role with individuals across the board. Um, so, you know, humans have co-evolved with microbia in a biodiverse environment, and as I mentioned, we have so much more bacterial expression than we even do on our chromosomal influence. And I think big picture, doing a beat the bloat type cleanse is a great way to push a reset button and then to strategically repollinate and seed the feel good players of bacteria that can aid in metabolic health, hormone health, gut and digestive health, and absolutely whole picture immune health. Um, so before we let y'all go, um, I also want to highlight your upcoming webinar, Allie, so we're bringing back the webinar, um, with Gut Health and Beat the Bloat, kind of in conjunction with this new release of the ebook. Yes. So the webinar will be on the 24th of March. It's going to be $19.99, so just under $20. And it's going to be like a kind of VIP or second level approach to all of this. So this is really geared for people who have read the Beat the Bloat ebook. Um, again, you can get that for $1.99 using the code BEATTHEBLOAT. And the assumption is that you've read that, maybe you've tried a gut cleanse, or maybe you have... Uh, tested your stool and you've seen some pathogenic bacteria that you're concerned about or you've failed a SIBO test or you've tried other protocols and have had unsuccessful outcomes to really um, troubleshoot and deep dive how to get successful outcomes. And so um, that's going to be Advanced Gut Health and Beat the Bloat webinar on March 24th. It's going to be an hour long. And I will be sending a Google form to all participants that have purchased. And um, they'll be able to put all of their questions in. And I will make sure that they are all addressed within that format. All right, awesome. We'll share all of the links in our show notes today. 
Thank you all so much for listening and plowing through this one. Hopefully it was jam-packed with information that doesn't make your brain explode and um, inspires you to do a cleanse if it's necessary. As always, please pop on over and if you haven't already, leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you're listening and share a couple of sentences about why you love the Naturally Nourished podcast. And as always, be sure to check our show notes. That's where we link all of our research. I also am going to link, I didn't get to mention, um, but I will link some of my favorite products, including household cleaners. We talked a lot about the disinfectant sterility component. So I'm going to be linking Branch Basics in here with a special discount code for listeners and so much more. Um, You can check all that out at naturallynourishedrd.com. And then all the books and programs, webinar and supplements are at alliemillerrd.com. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.